0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Was
1: it LBJ who said, if I've lost Scaramucci, I've lost middle America? The lead starts right now. President Trump today, dig it in again. Defending his racist tweets about minority Democratic Congresswomen and possibly revealing why he's going to keep this fight alive till at least, say, November 2020. While a former top White House aide calls the tweets racist, he'll join us live this hour. A different story for House Republican leaders refusing to condemn the president's tweets as Democrats are about to force them to go on record with a vote. Will any House Republicans defect? Plus... A new CNN poll out of the first primary state showing Joe Biden may not be alone at the top anymore. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with our politics lead. This hour, President Trump will meet behind closed doors with Republican congressional leaders ahead of what could be a symbolic rebuke of the commander in chief. In just a matter of hours, House Democrats will vote on a resolution to condemn The president's racist, go back where you came from tweets to four Democratic House freshmen, all of them women of color, three of them born in the United States, all of them American citizens. The vote will force House Republicans to come down in support or in opposition to the proposition that the president should be denounced for making racist comments. Mr. Trump responding on Twitter saying, quote, those tweets were not racist. I don't have a racist bone in my body. The so-called vote to be taken is a Democrat con game. Republicans should not show weakness And fall into their trap. To which one of the four congresswomen in question, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, responded, quote, You're right, Mr. President, you don't have a racist bone in your body. You have a racist mind in your head and a racist heart in your chest, unquote. Republicans are... Largely standing by President Trump, today the leaders of the House and Senate Republican caucuses attacked the four congresswomen for various positions and comments they have made, especially some that were anti-Israel and in some cases even anti-Semitic, when our own reporter CNN's Manu Raju asked Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, whose wife, Secretary of Transportation Elaine Chao, came to the U.S. from China at age eight, asking him if it would be racist if someone told Chao to go back where she came from. If she were being critical of the U.S., McConnell responded that he supports legal immigration. And McConnell called on everyone, on all sides, to dial down the rhetoric. The president, whom McConnell would not specifically criticize in any way, is not dialing anything down. However, he continued to attack the four congresswomen today.
2: It's my opinion they hate our country. And that's not good. It's not acceptable.
1: CNN's Abby Phillip starts us off from the White House today. In the
3: last several
4: weeks, President Trump demanding loyalty from his party as he moves to rebrand his racist attacks against four American lawmakers of color who he told to go back to their countries.
3: It's up to them.
5: Go wherever they want, where they can stay. But they should love our country. They shouldn't hate our country.
4: Trump now shifting saying, the debate to past statements right of some of the freshman progressive Democrats.
5: You look at what they've said. I, I have clips right here the most vile, horrible statements about our country, about Israel, about others.
4: While on Twitter, Trump denying the tweets were racist, adding, I don't have a racist bone in my body, and telling his party not to show weakness by voting in favor of a resolution in the House condemning the comments. While some Senate Republicans like Iowa Senator Joni Ernst have called Trump's attacks racist, the majority leader offered a generic call for a return to civility.
6: From the president to the speaker to freshman members of the House, all of us have a responsibility to elevate the public discourse our words do matter
4: McConnell refusing to say if he would use the phrase go back but insisting Trump isn't racist
6: the President's not a racist and i think the tone of all of this is not good for the country
4: In the house lawmakers following suit and falling in line were the
7: president's tweets that said go back racist
2: No
5: I believe this is about ideology. This is about socialism versus freedom.
7: But
4: Trump's tweets never mentioned socialism at all. Instead, he claimed the four Democratic women who originally came from other countries should go back to the corrupt, crime-infested places they came from. Counselor to the President Kellyanne Conway defending her boss by taking a page from his playbook.
7: What's your ethnicity?
5: Why is that relevant? To no, question? no, because I'm asking you a question. My, my ancestors are from Ireland and Italy. My, my own ethnicity is not relevant to the question I'm asking. No, no, it is, because you're asking, asking about, he said, originally. He said originally from.
4: Meanwhile, her husband, George Conway, writing in a new op-ed that Sunday left no doubt, naivete, resentment, and outright racism roiled in a toxic mix have given us a racist president. Later on Twitter, Kellyanne Conway tried to clarify what she meant in that exchange with the reporter Andrew Feinberg. She said, this was meant with no disrespect. We are all from somewhere else originally. Jake.
1: All right, Abby, fill up at the White House. Thank you uh, so much. Let's chew over all this. Tara, let me start with you. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy said today the the tweets were not racist. McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, when he was asked, he said, the president is not racist. Trying to split hairs there a little bit. Telling people of color or really anyone to go back where you came from is just pretty much textbook racism. What would President Trump have to say for Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell to say, yeah, that's racist?
3: I think we're at the point where I think anything short of the N-word, they're going to make excuses for. Because at that point, I mean, there's really no question about it. Right. So. To, it's obvious to everyone else. It's amazing to me how many of these Republicans are going out there, and I said this yesterday, trying to white explain to people of color what racism is and what it feels like to deal with that every single day or what it's like to be told. I don't think Kevin McCarthy was ever told to go back to wherever the hell he came from. I don't think that he's ever experienced that. So I don't think Mitch McConnell's ever experienced that. Maybe his wife has, and she's uh, not of uh, 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 American descent. She's Chinese-American. So These people are just trying to trip over themselves and change the subject and deflect from the fact that the President of the United States is a racist. And I was reticent, just like George Conway, and God bless him for coming out finally over these last months and just being honest and truthful about what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, He's 100 percent right. And and what he said in that op-ed really resonates because he talked about it as being someone who was half Filipino, that he experienced someone back when he was a kid telling them to go back to the Philippines. You know, this is a very powerful thing. And I think that the Republicans trying to sweep this under the rug Thank God for a few that came out, but not enough. were the 200 other of them, the rest of them, but them trying to sweep this under the rug and act like this was about ideology is ridiculous. We're talking about a president who doesn't even know what Western-style liberalism is, yeah. and you're expecting this to be an, us to believe this is about ideology for
7: him? No, it's about race.
1: Have you ever been told, "Go back where you came from"?
7: Every day, Jake. Seriously? Especially, on Twitter? Or? Yes, on Twitter. Sometimes even in person. Especially since the president came down that escalator and called Mexicans rapists and criminals. What's so interesting is you know I was born in Colombia. I get told to get back to, to go back to Mexico every day, so they can't even get their xenophobia right. But the, the bottom line is—it's funny know, how
1: often they're not very smart. Uh,
7: no, right? Stunning. <laughs> anyway, stunning. But there is—it's not just something that we should all be incredibly worried about. But the repercussions of this, Jake. You have kids. I have kids. We've all been a kid. Is what the president said something that we would ever allow our kids or would our parents have ever allowed us to utter those words no. and have it be okay? When the president was running for office, my children said to me, mamá, si Trump gana, nos van a deportar? Which means, mom, if Trump wins, are we going to be deported? Mm. These are these are children.
1: American citizens. Too.
7: American citizens, yeah. exactly. So for I said- Congresswomen I said, that he went after. Right. American Bingo. citizens, but apparently
3: right. otherwise. All, them. For,
1: all, four, all of
3: four, of four of them. them. Uh, uh, all four of let
1: them. I said, let me ask you, th- there are people who say that this is part of a strategy. This isn't the president just spouting off being racist because he has racist views. He actually, there's a, there's a plot going on here. And somebody, I was reminded that in 2017, former uh, advisor Steve Bannon said- The longer they, meaning Democrats, talk about identity politics, I got them. I want them to talk about racism every day. If the left is focused on race and identity and we go with economic nationalism, we can crush the Democrats. Uh, Now, Dave Weigel points out that was 2017. 2018, that didn't work out so well. Mm -hmm. Trump was doing the caravan thing. Democrats Mm -hmm. took back the House. But do you think this is part of a strategy?
8: I, I think it is partly. But I think we should be careful about that use of identity politics there that Bannon points out. Democrats aren't the only ones who are engaging in identity politics. this is identity politics. This is identity politics. This is a strategy of white identity politics that we have seen Republicans kind of go to as kind of a base motivation. And I do think that you have members of President Trump in that campaign who have taken the lesson from 2016 that what our base wants, what they want to see from this president, is the evoking of that nostalgia. Now, that nostalgia is often racially based, Mm -hmm. is often based in the kind of beating back of the rise of a new multicultural America. But we have seen the Trump administration kind of, even in from things from Make, Great, Make America Great Again and the like, to evoke that kind of sense to motivate the base. Now, just because that is a strategy that we're pretty sure they're going to employ as they did in 2016 and 2018, we don't know about the success of that, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know in 2020 whether Democrats will be more motivated to come out as they weren't in 2016. We don't know if a different nominee means the strategy may not have the same effectiveness, but we do know that this has been the playbook since yeah. day one. But I think that point about white identity politics is that's, clear. That's a very um, important point. And in response to what Bo- uh, Bannon's saying.
1: No, it's a, it's a very important point that what Bannon was selling was white identity politics. Mm-hmm. And, re- and maybe the Democrats were doing a different kind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Sarah, let me ask you. Uh, The president said uh, today uh, that the Democrats were trying to distance themselves from the four progressives, but now they're forced to embrace them. That means they are endorsing socialism, hate of Israel in the USA, not good for Democrats. He's, whether it was originally strategy or not originally strategy, he's trying to make it seem like a strategy, even though those original tweets were not about socialism at all.
9: Yeah, I don't really think that that is what people are paying attention to right now. I don't think he can just tweet it and say, no, no, it's really about how all of the Democrats are anti-Semitic. And everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is a conversation about no. No, That is not what this is a conversation about.
1: Chuck Schumer is really (laughs) anti-Semitic. No,
9: like, that is is not how this is going to work out. And I think, if anything, we've seen the Democratic Party, you know, sort of rally around one another and realize that, like, we are taking on something bigger here and that this is what we are trying to do, the Democrats, as a party, going into 2020. I mean, I do think part of that will certainly entail for them calling out things the president does that are racist, like sending that tweet. But, you know, the reason that they were able to win in 2018 is because they were able to sort of straddle that line and say the president did something that is extremely out of line. It's racist. Is whatever is unacceptable in whatever other way. But now let us tell you what we're, we're going to do about health care exactly. in this country. And that's going to be the challenge for Democrats again in 2020.
1: Everyone stick around. We have more to talk about. Only a fraction of Republicans have weighed in publicly on the president's racist tweets. But that will change in a matter of hours when the Democrats in the House force a vote on it. Plus, the shocking response from a white nationalist, why he said President Trump is just playing a con game with the racist tweets. Stay with us. And we're back with our politics lead soon. Every member of the House of Representatives will be forced to take a stand on the record on the president's racist tweets against four Democratic congresswomen of color, in which he said they should go back where they came from, even though, of course, three were born in the U.S. and all four are American citizens. Tonight, the House will vote on a resolution to condemn those tweets as racist. CNN's Phil Manningly is on Capitol Hill. Phil, what exactly does this resolution say? And are any Republicans in the House expected to vote for it?
5: So, Jake, Democratic leaders deliberately tailored it very narrowly to just be about the tweet. Some of their members wanted to open it up, kind of air additional grievances. They tailored it narrowly because they wanted to try and attract Republicans to the proposal, including some of the Republicans, the very few Republicans who have spoken out against the president. Here's the reality I'm told at this point in time. House Republican leadership has told their members they should vote no. They have given them a list of reasons why they should vote no, saying it's a personal attack on the president, saying it's a distraction. And my understanding, according to sources who are no- knowledgeable, of these things is those efforts have been effective right now. They say they're not expecting any more than five to eight Republicans to vote with the Democrats on this, keeping the numbers very low and underscoring yet again that Republicans, no matter what the president says, are the party of
1: Trump. Jake. All right. Phil Mattingly on Capitol Hill. Thanks so much. Joining me now is former Obama senior advisor and CNN senior political commentator, uh, David Axelrod, uh, David, thanks so much. You think that President Trump knows exactly what he's doing, and this is a strategy to elevate these four congresswomen?
2: Well, I think that's certainly part of it. I think that uh, if, you, if you listen to what he and other of his strategists are talking about, they want to paint the portrait of the Democratic Party as a far-left socialist party for open borders and so on. And uh, they need to create you know, iconic images uh, to campaign against. Interestingly, Pelosi used to be that image. She's now too moderate for, mm-hmm. for them to use. And so these, these women, these young uh, members of Congress have now taken uh, that place. And I think he saw a chance in the fight between Pelosi and them to elevate them. And uh, and and the second virtue of this, from his standpoint, if you can use the word virtue, uh, about a racist attack, is that it inflames his base and. I think they believe there's still more votes out there that they didn't get in 2016 in their base. And that if you if they turn up the temperature, that they can mobilize them even further. So, uh, you know, now the president is impulsive. He has kind of a feral genius for striking these chords. But he's you know, so the word strategic isn't oftenly uh, often associated with him. But listen, you have to look at history. He's pushed a lot of buttons over the last three years, uh, and he's had a lot of success doing it. So, yeah, I think it was intentional.
1: What do you think Democrats should do? I mean, House Democrats right now uh, are spending time and energy and effort to condemn uh, these tweets. That will obviously not happen in the Senate. And even if it did, it's toothless. It doesn't really have any effect other than expressing a sentiment.
2: No, but I think it's smart because they, they have forced the Republican Party to go on record as embracing these uh, racist uh, tweets and the president's tactics. I think that's going to have some impact on him, particularly in suburban areas where uh, voters drifted in 2018. There are a lot of people who may support some of his policies, but find his behavior uh, distasteful or worse. And this will only accentuate that. So he put the Republican Party in a bit of a jam here. I think he overshot the runway uh, with these uh, with his tactics, and he's also—I mean, he's—he's he's lied. I mean, you can find
1: things that Congresswoman Omar said that right. are patently offensive, but he said that she praised Al Qaeda. She never yeah, praised no, Al Qaeda. No. He stood. At the White House, is, and, and just told a blatant lie about it. Here's some breaking
2: her. news for you, Jake. The president doesn't always work within the boundaries of fact. I'm, I'm, I'm aware. Okay, and that's really what you asked me. What Democrats should do. This is one of the challenges for Democrats yeah. because he is going. This is not going to be the last time this happens. We are going to be having this discussion a lot in the next 17 months uh, because he thinks it's to his advantage uh, to do it. And yes, it's important for us as a country. To uh, express uh, our our moral outrage about these tactics, but at some point they have to be discussed as tactics. You have to kind of pull the curtain back or pull the sheet off, as, however you want to mm-hmm. say it, and and say these are tactics, and we ought to ex- we ought to we ought to recognize them as such, and people ought to be aware, uh, just as uh, you know the, these these acid. Uh, pernicious uh, social media posts are. And by the way, it'll be interesting to see what's going on on social media uh, and what the Trump campaign is doing right now. Well, let me ask you also, how did Democrats
1: deal with offensive comments, bigoted comments made within their own ranks? Because as I suggested just a few minutes ago, I mean, Congresswoman Omar has said things that a lot of Jewish Democrats in Congress
2: found blatantly anti-Semitic, her and Congresswoman uh, Tlaib. Right. And the House voted on a resolution and there was a rebuke from the Speaker Uh, about that the resolution wasn't as strong as some wanted. Uh, I do think that you have to call out your own. I mean, one of the things that's offensive here is to see the Republicans contort themselves Uh, into uh, pretzels to try and, you know, Senator McConnell today, uh, McCarthy, um, uh, Kellyanne Conway asking a reporter what his ethnicity was and somehow uh, indicating that that was a justification for what the president was saying. Um, So Democrats need to be uh, strong uh, in condemnation of things that are viewed as uh, anti-Semitic or in any other way bigoted. But Um, You know, it was interesting to see McConnell say, well, everybody needs to tone things down. Not everybody is the president of the United States. Not everybody has issued blatantly racist tweets of this uh, sort. And to uh, make this sort of like everybody does it. Is is really missing the point? Certainly, there's the bully
1: pulpit, and then there's everyone else. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. David Axelrod, thank you so much. Appreciate it. To see it. you coming up. He's one of President Trump's most loyal and vocal supporters, but now Anthony Scaramucci, the former White House communications director, is calling President Trump's tweets racist. Would he put the same label on the president himself? We'll ask him that next. Stay with us. We're back with our politics lead, President Trump again today, defending his racist tweets against those four freshmen congresswomen of color. Uh, Joining me now for his reaction is the former White House communications director uh, under President Trump, Anthony Scaramucci. Anthony, it's always good to see you. Uh, Today, you called the president's tweets racist and unacceptable. Why do you think he's saying these things?
10: Well, I mean, David Axelrod probably has a better read on that than me. He's a better political strategist. I mean, he's obviously trying to trigger people and maybe he's trying to engage his base. I mean, maybe, maybe that's Going to be a successful strategy for 2020, but I think a more successful strategy would be to focus on the growth in the economy and policies and go after moderates and independents uh, that I think he needs. If you look at the Electoral College map, he needs those people to win. So. Uh, the, the comments are reprehensible. The fact that more people are not speaking out about it, I actually find astonishing. It doesn't mean I don't like the president. I like the president, raised money for him, obviously went to go work, work for him for great sacrifice. When I got fired and obliterated, Jay, I never lost my loyalty to the president right. or his team, and I stayed right out there. So, But when you're talking like that, uh, you know, my grandparents, who may their souls rest in peace, would be wickedly upset at me if I didn't speak out against it because— when Italian-Americans got here, or as Irish-Americans and others, this country is a mosaic. Many times uh, in the 1920s, my grandparents were told to go back to the country that they came from. And so he's the leader of the free world. He absolutely knows better than that. And he should have an intervention. There should be a group of people that really like him, uh, that sit around him. Instead of listening to this nonsense, tell them straight up, hey, you can't talk like that because you're going to alienate people that want to vote for you. And so... David Axelrod uh, mentioned suburban women. Mm -hmm. He got 52 percent of the white women's vote. Uh, That sort of language is very bullying. And so uh, uh, women around the country of all colors are trying to teach their kids about anti-bullying. You've got the leader of the free world saying uh, bullying-ish, Neanderthal-ish, racist comments. Uh, Let's call it for what it is. Okay, you can still be friends with a guy, but you can disagree with what he's saying. And for me, you know, at the end of the day, I I hate this litmus test. Well, you got to be 100 percent switched on for Trump or 100 percent in his camp. Otherwise, you're not in his camp. That's also a bunch of nonsense. And so it reminds me of what Mayor Koch used to say. If you agree with me nine out of 12 times, vote for me. But if you agree with me 12 out of 12 times, you need a psychiatrist. And so (laughs) the point being is that you're, you're never going to agree with everybody all the time. But you're the leader of the free world. You know better. You're tweeting now that they're not racist comments, but, you know, you're snickering to yourself when you're tweeting them in the first place because you know it's going to trigger people on the left. And it's frankly going to trigger people that like you, like myself, uh, that want to support you, but are not going to stand there after what happened to my grandparents uh, uh, 100 years ago or 90 years ago and put up
1: with that. So, Anthony, let me just ask you, so few Republicans, certainly former administration officials like yourself, Uh, So few on Capitol Hill have been willing to say the obvious, which is to tell somebody to go back where they came from, especially people of color in this day and age, uh, is is xenophobic in your grandparents age, racist in this day and age. Why are so many Republicans unwilling to, as you say, you know, call it like it is? So we both know the answer to that. But let's state it, obviously, for the viewers. I mean, Washington has
10: an allergy to the truth. Uh, they are in the tank with each other. They need each other. Some of them are afraid they're going to get primaried uh, by people that are more Trumpian than they are. Others are just saying, geez, my salary is dependent on something related to the administration. i got to keep my mouth shut. Uh, But, you know, John Kennedy wrote a book in the 1950s called Profile and Courage. and, And people actually stepped out of the box and stepped out of their political... Uh, you know, unit, if you will, and broke from the pack and said things that were really honest and were truth to power that helped advance the interests in the country. The president calls himself a stable genius. Start sending out some more stable, geniusified tweets. You know, that tweet is instable, unstable, however you want to reference it. It's racist. It's obnoxious. It's obnoxious to Italian-Americans. It's obnoxious to a very large group of people, and you should you should apologize. Of course, he's not going to apologize. And, he, and he's going to double down and say that it wasn't racist. He's going to have a group of people that are in the tank with him that should be telling him the truth, mm-hmm. but are afraid to do so. So, you know, look, I'm back in my own company. Got my own business. My life's going great. I wish the president well. I'd like to see him get reelected. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you right now, he continues on that path. He's going to be shocked at the number of people that are going to quietly and overtly break from him.
1: Anthony Scaramucci, thank you so much. Hope you're having a good okay. summer with your wife and family. I, I'm having a great summer. It's nice to see you, Jay. Good to see you, Anthony. Meanwhile, one group of the president's supporters are cheering on these attacks, as CNN Sarah Sidon reports. White supremacists who back President Trump are taking to social media to celebrate those tweets. Go back where you came from, of course, is something they've been saying to other people for decades. These
5: are people that if they don't, Like it here, they can leave.
11: President Trump defending his tweets targeting four progressive Democrats of color. Today tweeting, these tweets were not racist. But you know who does think that? Avowed racist. And they love it. This from neo-Nazi Andrew Englund, who runs one of the most clicked racist anti-Semitic websites. This is the kind of white nationalism we elected him for. A white nationalist podcaster simply parroted Trump's words with a picture of the four American congresswomen with the caption, send them back. White nationalist Patrick Casey tweeted an agreement that the four lawmakers simply do not belong in America, let alone in our government. What does the president think about support from these circles? It doesn't concern me because many people agree with me. Prominent white supremacists, neo-Nazis and anti-Muslim bigots have fully embraced Donald Trump's recent tweets. The Anti-Defamation League's Joanna Mendelssohn says the president's words are also having an impact on American society as a whole. Essentially, it normalizes hate and it makes it acceptable and it lowers our bar, our tolerance for what is allowed in our country. And that
9: is dangerous.
11: But here's a twist.
5: Hail Trump! Hail our
0: people! Hail
11: victory! White nationalist Richard Spencer, who hailed Trump when he was first elected, is among those who are turning on Trump.
5: Many white nationalists will eat up this red meat that Donald Trump is throwing out there. I am not one of them. I recognize the con game that is going on. They say
11: Trump is all talk and no action on maintaining white dominance in America.
5: He gives us nothing outside of racist tweets. And by racist tweets, I mean tweets that are meaningless and cheap and express the kind of sentiments you might hear from your drunk uncle while he's watching Hannity.
11: Yes, that was Richard Spencer, the man who championed the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, who believes that whites should live separately from non-whites and Jewish people. Him calling the president's tweet outright racist. But to be clear, there are many white nationalists, supremacists, neo-Nazis, whatever racist group they adhere to, who believe that the president is still their best choice. Jake.
1: Sarah Seidner, thanks for that report. Appreciate it. Coming up, a dire warning at today's confirmation hearing from the man President Trump wants to lead the Pentagon. That's next. The world lead now a contentious confirmation hearing today for President Trump's pick to be defense secretary. If confirmed, Mark Esper could face Iran and North Korea at the top of the list of global threats as both nations are testing their nuclear limits. But as CNN's Barbara Starr now reports for us, Esper warned Congress today about an altogether different war that the U.S. is fighting.
6: If the Senate confirms him, Mark Esper will become the first permanent Secretary of Defense in seven months, just as President Trump heads into the 2020 campaign with tensions flaring with Iran and North Korea. Esper, who has been acting secretary for just a few weeks, insists diplomacy is the best route to get Iran to give up its program to develop nuclear weapons.
5: We do not want war with with Iran. We are not seeking war with Iran. We need to get back on the diplomatic channel.
6: A similar message from Iran's foreign minister telling NBC News he believes President Trump will be prudent.
1: I do not believe that President Trump wants war. But I believe there are people around him who wouldn't mind.
6: On North Korea, Pyongyang is threatening to renege on what the U.S. says are Kim Jong-un's commitments to denuclearization. North Korea is now accusing the Trump administration of breaching the spirit of the negotiations by planning joint U.S.-South Korean military exercises that are, quote, a rehearsal for war. Esper stressed he doesn't want hotspots like Iran and North Korea to take away from planning for future military requirements to defend against Russia and China, especially in space and in the cyber arena.
5: Clearly, cyber is a domain of warfare. Uh, We are at war, if you will, in the cyber domain now, uh, constantly battling uh, countries such as Russia or China, who are trying to do everything from steal our technology to influence elections, Uh, to put out disinformation
6: but like many trump nominees esper had to reassure congress he won't be a yes man to the president President and won't engage in partisanship
5: it is very important to me to continue the long-held tradition that uh, dod not dod remain apolitical and so my commitment is to make sure that we uh, conduct ourselves that way
6: And on all important election security, Esper said things have improved, but that he could not guarantee the 2020 election will be flawless. Jake.
1: All right, Barbara, start at the Pentagon. Thank you so much. Drama on the floor of the House of Representatives right now ahead of the big vote to condemn President Trump's racist tweets. Stay with us.
10: We don't ever, ever want to pass up, it seems, an opportunity to to escalate. And that's what this is. I'll dare anybody to look at any of the footage and see if there was any unfairness. But unfairness is not enough because we want to just fight. I abandoned the chair.
1: We're back with breaking news right now. A contentious scene on Capitol Hill as Democrats and Republicans were debating the resolution to condemn President Trump's racist tweets. The debate was sparked after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who very rarely speaks on the floor of the House said, quote, these comments from the White House are disgraceful and disgusting and these comments are racist, unquote. Pelosi says she had cleared her comments ahead of time with the parliamentarian because there are lots of rules in the House and the Senate, for that matter, about what you're allowed to say. Republicans are asking that those words be stricken from the record because you're not allowed to call somebody racist on Capitol Hill, although uh, right now they're, they're voting on whether or not to strike Those words from the record, we should point out that Pelosi uh, was referring to specifically what the president tweeted, not necessarily the president. uh, But let's discuss that. And we we should note that the person at the at the top of of the segment uh, was Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, uh, Democrat from uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, and he was presiding over the House and obviously very frustrated.
8: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, uh, I don't want to say poetic, but I mean, it's kind of ironic that the House in this moment, that should it should be taking a kind of moral action devolves into like a partisanship fight. Like this is where we are on these things. This is why there hasn't been a universal condemnation uh, uh, from Republicans because of the kind of infighting with the party. And then you come to the Capitol Hill, the floor vote where Democrats were trying to pressure Republicans to go on the record with kind of... Uh, uh, to to side with the president or not. And we now have it kind of devolving into chaos. Uh, This is what happens in that House. I mean, this is what happens on Capitol Hill these days. You do not have a kind of universal uh, uh, kind of guidance from both of those parties. And so you get moments like this where you think you're kind of careening in one direction and then all of a sudden chaos ensues.
1: And and the thing is, I mean, I I think the House rules are, and I'm sure I'll hear from people on social media if I'm wrong, (laughs) that Pelosi would not have been allowed and the parliamentarian would not have cleared her to say President Trump is racist, but what she said was the comments coming from the White House are disgraceful and racist, which is different.
9: According to Nancy Pelosi, and I and the guess parliamentarian. the parliamentarian, yeah. um, but obviously Republicans have taken it a different way, and now they're fighting about this. But, you know, I mean, on one hand, Congressman Cleaver is all of us, and he's, we're just tired of this. <laughs> like, we are tired, and we would like to go home. But on the other hand, you know, you can see how this could ultimately be to the benefit of Republicans. If you say, look, Democrats took the House, and this is what they've chosen to do with it. They're not actually getting anything done. There are plenty of places where Democrats have been able to go and call out the president for making racist remarks. And not to say that his remarks are racist, but even to say the president is racist if that's what they believe. And so to then, you know, take this to the House floor. Yes, I mean, I can see the side where you want to make a point and you want to get Republicans on record. But you also need to legislate. I mean, that is why these people have been brought here to legislate and to stand, again, for all Americans in this country. And I can see the frustration that might be. One
1: second. I'm definitely bringing both (laughs) of you in. in, But just give me one second because I want to get a little bit more context on what's going on on the floor of the House uh, from our reporter, Phil Mattingly. Phil, give us a little more context here, please.
5: Yeah, Jake, I just sprinted over from the House chamber, and I think you guys kind of nailed the, the top line of it. The members of Congress are not allowed to speak in a pejorative manner related to any member of Congress or the president himself, and that made this resolution difficult from the begin with because the words racist are in the resolution, not just in the title, but also in describing the tweets itself. The interesting element here on why you've seen such a fight or a disagreement or a negotiation, if you will, on the House floor up to this point between... Democratic staff, Democratic members, uh, and the parliamentarian is because the speaker says she had her speech cleared by the parliamentarian before she ended up giving it. Now, that didn't stop Republicans from challenging it. And, in fact, Democrats were very aware this was a potential issue. They were warned in a closed-door meeting this morning to be careful with the ground they treaded on this, because it could go against House rules. But I think the dispute right now is the speaker thought her remarks were cleared by the parliamentarian. Obviously, Republicans raised an objection. I think the real question right now is, because Democrats control the chamber, they can overrule the parliamentarian. That would be unprecedented. If the words are struck down, a speaker's remarks being struck down on the House floor would be unprecedented. Very inside baseball, but what you're seeing in a word is unprecedented right now, Jake.
1: All right, Phil Manningly, thanks so much. Maria.
7: So I actually think that this is something that Democrats need to do. And look, they can, again, walk and chew gum at the same time as we've heard, and they have passed a lot of great issues that are focused on what the American people want. But this, I also think, is really important for the American people and for for this country, for Congress and Capitol Hill and our leaders that are elected to be on the record on this. I think we're at an inflection point. You know, you talked about how so much of what President Trump has done has been absolutely using racism and xenophobia. But the language that he used, and we saw it in Sarah Seidner's report, the language that he used in these tweets, Jake, I really do think takes it to another level. He ripped language from the handbook of white supremacy. And this is why I think you are seeing, and I I am glad that they are doing it, that Democrats have now been unified on all of this, right? And they are willing and wanting to hold this president to account and Republicans as well who have basically turned over themselves, tripped over themselves trying to deny it. And they're now becoming the party of complicity and cowardice. Well, there
1: have been a few Republicans that have criticized what the president has said. Tim Scott, Tim Scott, Mitt um, Romney, etc. But there's only so far that, that a lot of them are willing mm-hmm. to
3: go. Yeah. And it's uh, it's been a very tepid response, which is the most disappointing about this. And the fact that they're engaging in this definition of who gets to be American, you know, what yeah. what makes America great. And I've said that I don't believe that the president thinks that America's great. He hates what makes this country great. He doesn't like this diversity. He doesn't like the dissent. He doesn't like the rule of law. He doesn't respect any of these things. And now that's translating to the way that even Republicans are behaving on the House floor, creating this kind of chaos. It matches what's happening in the White House.
1: All right, everyone stick around. One of the biggest kidnapping cases ever, five years later and more than 100 girls are still missing. The new effort to bring attention to their story next. Our buried lead now. These are stories that are not getting enough attention, in our view. It's been more than five years since those 219 Nigerian schoolgirls were taken in the dead of night by the terrorist group Boko Haram. The hashtag bring back our girls is no longer trending, but more than half of the girls remain captured. A brand new book gives us fresh insight on what exactly happened the night those girls were kidnapped. These dramatic images sparked global outrage. Young Nigerian schoolgirls held captive by the ruthless Islamist terrorist group Boko Haram for doing nothing except trying to get an education. Those images sparked a viral campaign, Bring Back Our Girls. Helped by public figures such as Ellen and Malala. Even then First Lady Michelle Obama posted photos and demanded the 219 girls be freed.
7: Free back our
1: girls! But today, more than five years later, 112 of those girls are still missing. And the world is not watching as closely.
4: And I think it's an indictment of the world that we live in that 112 girls can still be missing. And global leaders, political leaders, do effectively nothing, almost as if they don't matter.
1: Aisha Sissé covered the kidnapping for CNN when it first happened in 2014. She was there two years later when 21 girls were freed and reunited with their families. In her new book, Beneath the Tamarind Tree... She writes about what happened the night the girls were taken by Boko Haram.
7: One of the things that got me the sense of um, their
4: helplessness on the night that they were taken, that they were waiting for supervision, they were waiting for guidance from adults, from, from teachers who never
6: appeared.
1: One small silver lining in this otherwise horrific story, many of the girls who are now free are back in school, exactly where the terrorists don't want them to be. Aisha say's book, Beneath the Tamarind Tree, is available in bookstores and online as of now. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now.
0: Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night.